Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Welcome to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. My guests today are such well-established cricketing brothers that I'm tempted to call them a dynasty, but I'm not sure either of them would enjoy that. Pick the gap, wide at fine leg. That takes Flower through to his century. It's been a magnificent effort. It really has. Andrew has the highest test score by a wicketkeeper, an unbeaten 232 against India, in a two-match series in which he scored a staggering 550 runs. He was, at his peak, ranked the number one batsman in the world. 24 years of pain in Australia. Finally, they're beaten at home by England. He was also, of course, the head coach of three Ashes-winning England teams, for which he was awarded an OBE. That's a beautiful stroke. Shot in length. And Grant Flaher has wrenched the ball away towards the boundary line for four runs. Grant doesn't have an OBE. He was not only a highly and consistently successful opening batsman for club and country, but also a much underrated left-arm spinner. This time he'll go for it. And Jamal Malak has managed to stop the ball, but a wonderful innings from Grant Clark. Absolutely brilliant. He was the first opener to carry his bat in completed innings in both Test and ODI cricket, and averaged over 40 against a great Pakistan bowling attack in an era when Zimbabwe seemed to play them at least once a year. Well, they're standing up all around this ground uh, to salute John Flowers and uh, so they should. His international coaching career began with his native Zimbabwe before moving to Pakistan and now Sri Lanka. <music> Gentlemen, thank you very, very much indeed for your time. Andrew's in England, uh, Grant is in Colombo. Let's get straight into on-field now. The fourth wicket partnership of 269. Still the highest in Test cricket by brothers. Is that your greatest on-field achievement together? Obviously it is, statistically. But is there a little, a little nuggety partnership somewhere else along the line that uh, was equally important to you? Yeah, that's definitely the highlight of my career with Andrew. 
I can't think of too many others that would obviously um, beat that one. But I just remember at 40 for three and the ball was going around everywhere, we, we were in a lot of trouble and facing Wasim in his prime. And Andrew took him on and I just gutsed it out at the other end. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And I think it's still a record and obviously very proud of it. Andrew, my, my recollection, I mean, obviously you made 150 and, and counter-attacked and, and, and Grant made his, his two, 201 not out from 523 balls. But one of the overriding memories I have is that Wasim appeared more intent on killing your brother than, than getting him out. Wasim Akram to Grant Flower. And that one, I think, Grant Flower lost sight of it. It's gone down for four leg buys, probably. Yes, they are four leg buys off the helmet. Grant's physical stature was such that he was quite an elusive target uh, to hit, I think, uh, back in those days. But Wasim was, was like an angry young man, uh, I remember, on those early tours of Zimbabwe. He was very, uh, very aggressive fast bowler. He had obviously had all these amazing skills. Uh, but he was incredibly aggressive verbally, uh, his physical presence, he's a big man, and he could bring all those skills to bear to make you look a little foolish sometimes too. So I, I, I remember those as very aggressive uh, spells from Wasim where he beat the bat a lot and was probably, uh, I think it would be very honest to say, he was very unlucky not to get us. But... I mean, there are a number of memories of that, of that game that really stand out for me. Batting with Grant was a really special time for us as a uh, pair of brothers. Um, and, and for my parents watching the game, I think they absolutely loved watching that partnership. Four, game over. Zimbabwe have won the most amazing game of cricket that I've had the privilege to watch. And we ended up winning that game. And that was our very first test win. And that was so important to us as a cricketing nation and even to our stature as a, as a nation. You know, we're only a, a small country, Zimbabwe, 12 million people. But we had been given this international test status and we were struggling uh, as hard as we could to justify our, our place in world cricket and justify the decision that the ICC had made to give us this test status. And to get our first test win under our belts in a relatively short space of time, uh, I think that was in 95 and we'd been given test status in 92. So in comparison to teams like New Zealand and Sri Lanka, so the, the previous most recent test nations, that was a relatively short space of time. We were extremely proud and relieved to get that monkey off our back. And I remember our celebrations after the game where we sat in a dressing room with the sort of contentment and satisfaction that you can really share together after a hard battle. And we shared that with our administrators that had given so much in the whole build-up and attempt to influence the ICC to give us international status. And there was this amazing sense of satisfaction and camaraderie and togetherness uh, that made that win feel particularly special and the celebrations to have a, a particularly warm hue, uh, certainly looking back with hindsight.
Grant, you 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 relished the physical challenge, didn't you? I mean, you you it just uh, playing against Pakistan so much and against such a great bowling attack just seemed to bring out the absolute best in you. Yeah, well, the the one sort of striking memory from that innings, Manus, was you know it's a cliche, but you know being in the zone, and if ever I was in the zone, it was in that innings, and. I basically, I, I felt like I knew what Wasim was going to bowl at me. And I could see the seam all the way, pretty much most of the innings, and knowing which to leave on length. So whichever way the shine was, I could see it from his hand. So that made a hell of a difference. And, you know, you read about it in all the sporting books and you hear it on commentary and from the great players, how many times they are in the zone, so to speak, in their career. And... That one innings was a highlight for me, and I felt I was in complete control of of what to play and what to leave. And uh, I, I just remember Wasim running up to me as I was walking off um, off the field, and he came up to me and said, "Really well played. That's one of the best knocks I've seen." I I back that up, Manners. The the Harari Sports Club wicket, especially in those early international days for us bounced beautifully and I, ca I can very clearly picture the pattern of Grant leaving balls over the stumps. These balls from Wasim snaking through the air and him leaving late and close to stumps and pad, uh, which is one of the, one of the really important skills in opening the batting in test cricket. And, and something that probably these days is underappreciated. And it's a, it's a really like touch skill that probably isn't appreciated and worked upon consciously by a lot of cricketers these days. And there was, so, there was something else that I was going to mention about that partnership. You were talking about, you know, our relationship as a pair of cricketers, brothers playing together. The, the other thing it brings to mind is I don't want to embarrass Grant on, um, on this call, but I'd say Grant was my best coach that I had through my career. Certainly like a one-to-one -one batting coach. He knew my game so well from us working together over many years, you know, playing cricket in the garden as kids, then going through to trying to harden ourselves ready for the international game on cement nets or pinging the ball at, at each other for many hours in the, under the Zimbabwean sun. And uh, having that knowledge 22 yards away and working together between balls or at the end of overs, and then actually extrapolating that out through my batting career, I, could, I can very easily say that, you know, he helped my game tremendously. And, and crucially, I think, which is what really good coaches do, is give people confidence. And he always gave me confidence. Uh, so you ask about our relationship as brothers playing international cricket together. That really stands out for me. You might have left it very well, Grant, but it's my recollection that you did take a few on the body as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did, Manners. And thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the kind words. But yeah, as you know, Manners, um, I didn't really play the pull shot unless it was a, a trundler or a medium pacer. And the Pakistanis definitely weren't that, whereas Andrew did take it on. 
And so you, yeah, you, know, you, you got to be able to duck and weave and you got to be able to take a few on the body. And, uh, I, I think I experienced quite a bit of that in my career, but that's the challenge of playing, of being a top order batter f- for an international team. And, uh, you know, if you, if you can gut your way through it, then it's, uh, it's, it's a great feeling when you actually, uh, get a, a really good innings behind you like that. In the air, and that's it! That's it! After four long years, the most famous trophy in world cricket returns to Australia. Andrew, on the ill-fated Ashes tour, the after, I mean, after winning the Ashes and after all that you achieved, um, I, there's one moment that, that comes to mind. So, so you... you it goes wrong on that on that last Ashes tour for you, and and you lose the series. But I just remember the media turning really snide and nasty, um, and there were all that. I think somebody discovered that um, you'd taken a chef on tour, and you were you you had this sort of menu of, of health foods, all of which is entirely rational and sensible, and and looking to improve the performance as much as possible. And then there were all these sort of headline jokes about goji berry casseroles and do you, do you remember it? it just it was really nasty i remember it very clearly and actually they started sniping about on that topic before the tour had even started and uh, that situation arose because we had this this young guy as our england cricket board nutritionist really good young guy and uh, he'd worked in football before very knowledgeable uh, good, good within um, sort of team structure. Uh, didn't travel with our team at all, but a very thorough bloke. And he'd sent out a list of instructions to the hotels that we were going to stay at and to the event caterers at the various uh, test and, and one-day international venues that we were going to play at in Australia. And it was very comprehensive. And I, I didn't even know he'd sent this out. And I didn't, so, and therefore I had no idea of the content of it either. The first I heard about it was when I think initially the Australian, some Australian journalists had got hold of it and were uh, taking the mick out of it, quite rightly, really, and, and sort of linking that to, being, uh, to us being a bunch of pampered pumps. But, but, but our English media seized on it and were a little more unkind and didn't, didn't, weren't quite as humorous about the topic as the Aussies had been. And criticized and used it as an example of my overbearing micromanagement of our players, processes, and anything else I could get my hands on. <laughs> so um, it's quite funny to look back on, but I was irked at the time because... I wasn't even aware, A, of the content of um, the, the instructions sent out, and B, that there was any, any instructions going out to those hotels or, or caterers. But that's the sort of thing where you've got to grow a bit of a thick skin and, and, and sort of just take it on the chin. team didn't know that uh, Flower and Henry Olonga were, were going to do it until the morning of the match and uh, they just very quietly put some quite subtle black armbands on it, they, they only half an inch wide perhaps and, uh, and walked out and made a 
silent protest and uh, issued a, issued the statement about about it being a matter of conscience. It was a brave thing in those days to, to take on uh, Robert Mugabe, the president, and Flower uh, knew instantly then that uh, his life in Zimbabwe was over. Moving on quickly, we're just jumping from headline to headline here. I want to make sure I get all the important stuff in. For all your achievements, Andrew, you will be remembered, I suppose mostly by non-cricket people or, or sort of partial cricket people, for the black armband protest against uh, the death of democracy in Zimbabwe during the 2003 World Cup. So before I ask you how you feel about that, I'm going to ask Grant, how do you feel about the fact that for all Andrew's cricketing achievements on and off the field, that will always come up first or second on a Google search? Well, regarding a stand, yeah, I'm obviously very proud of what he did and Henry. It it was a very gutsy uh, what they did and a lot of things, it could have gone worse uh, regarding the danger to their lives, but um, thankfully it didn't. And they, they made a great stand. Uh, and at the time, I, I think a lot of people were made aware uh, of how bad it was in Zimbabwe. So uh, hats off to them. I actually, um, I did ask Andrew before if, if I could join in with their stand, but they thought it would be of a stronger position for them to be in with one white guy and one black guy. And, uh, and, and that was how it was. Um, but he obviously had a brilliant career, but, uh, yeah, if, if that's, um, if that helps the case for the future for, uh, the way Zimbabwe is, then it it's, can only be a good thing. When you were preparing, Andrew, did you think to yourself, this could change my life and I'm going to have to spend the rest of it talking about it? Did, were you aware of how big it was going to be? We were well aware that it was going to change our lives because the security advice that we'd been given by the security people that were operating uh, for the opposition party at the time was that we'd have to leave the country thereafter. And so our cricket careers with Zimbabwe would end. So yes, we were well aware of that. Actually, with hindsight, Nanas, I, I regret not being wiser about how to maximize the impact of it. If we had been a little more knowledgeable and if I hadn't had this sort of inherent um, uh, not distrust of the press, but I, I tended to shy away from the media and I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to use it wisely. It, with hindsight, we could have done a, done a much more impactful uh, global impact if we'd used the media better. Um, but we wanted, we, we simply wanted to make the statement, ally that to a symbol, which was the black armband, and then bring the, the media focus to bear on the human rights abuses that were happening in the country. And in that regard, it worked to a certain extent. I also, with hindsight, regret that my focus moved very soon thereafter. So after Henry and I had to leave the country, we both ended up in England. And we, we both wanted to sort of move on with our careers and our lives. And, and one of the imperatives was to create an income. So, you know, I wanted to focus on my playing career. Um, Henry wanted to focus on his music and rebuilding his, his life. 
and I, I wish that we'd campaigned more thereafter. But we didn't seem quite, you know, with, a, with uh, I certainly had a young family, didn't feel that I had the energy or the time uh, or the, the focus away from playing uh, to devote to campaigning. But to, so, there, so there's a regret and, and a slight guilt, actually, that there were so, there's so many genuinely brave people that remain in Zimbabwe, that uh, work every day for correcting, correcting or bringing attention to human rights problems in the country, uh, that fight for the opposition party, that fight to make things better in the country, that work for charity organizations, and that do so much good in our country. And, you know, ours was a very small gesture uh, to try and highlight some of that. Theirs is the real work. And it's, I, I've got such admiration for people like David Coulthard, who was the human rights advocate and a human rights lawyer that helped us with our statement and helped us with the security advice that we got and who works tirelessly every day uh, for the opposition party. People like Kirsty Coventry, who's now uh, trying to do something positive within Zimbabwe sport as, a, as an administrator and, and leader. Uh, Alistair Campbell, who tried to do uh, a, so much good for Zimbabwe cricket in galvanizing sponsorship and, uh, and tried to bring a more global feel to the country through organizing early T20 tournaments, for instance. Those, those people have done and continue to do some amazing work there in the country. But, but how did it affect your family at the time and in the 17 years since? My parents left at the same time as I did. Actually, during the World Cup, they left and accompanied my wife and three children. So we knew that we had to leave. You know, my wife was obviously very worried about leaving me there to finish the World Cup after the Super Sixes, which were held in South Africa and, and to which we'd qualified. I had to go back and just finalize a few things with packing up the house and a few financial things. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I was concerned with that period. She was very concerned. And, and then in the, in the subsequent 17 years since then, I've only been back to Zimbabwe once. And that was about three years ago when I took my three children back and we met up with old friends and I took them around the country. They were all born in Zimbabwe. They were all born in the same hospital in the same room actually, in Harare. But they couldn't really remember the country. So to get around and show them the country, introduce them to the people of Zimbabwe, introduce them to some of my friends that they've never met. That was a really wonderful time just with my three children. Uh, but that's the only time I've been back. I'd like, I definitely want to go again. Still got a lot of really good friends there and it's still a beautiful place with amazing people. Grant, you, as I said, have been back and, and lived and worked and, and worked for Zimbabwe cricket as the batting coach. Uh, so um, your, your relationship with the country now, I, I guess you're more in touch, obviously, than Andrew is. Yeah, th thankfully, Manus. It didn't really affect me that much, other than the obvious of Andrew having to leave and, and my parents leaving subsequently at the end of that World Cup. Um, but... 
I was never threatened. I was never spoken badly to regarding what happened. And uh, I still go back there on holiday. And I've been there on a few tours with Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And, you know, the, the people have, have been brilliant. And obviously the country's uh, still going through its hardships, but there's still a lot of really good people there and some beautiful places to see like Big Falls and Kariba. And uh, hopefully things will improve. Well played on the offside. Wide off the sweeper. It's running down for four. It's a beautiful shot by Andy Fla. There we go. I'm not surprised. Super shot. Really super shot. Oh, yeah. That's dreamy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. That's out of Mark Wall's private manual. What a great effort by Akram. No ball and beautiful shot off his pads and that'll go all the way. That's a beautiful throw. Shot in length and Trantla has wrenched the ball away towards the boundary line for four runs. Well, there'll be lots of England fans and, and, and particularly Essex fans waiting for me to ask you about the Essex years. Um, they, Chelmsford was, uh, was, was very, very good to both of you. Essex... County Cricket Club took you both in, and um, I, and I'm guessing they were very happy years. They were certainly very successful. Well, I was very thankful to Graham Gooch and Ronnie Arani for inviting me uh, to play at Essex. I, I ended up playing for Essex for five seasons, and it was a really special special time. Quite a tricky time for us because 
I found that when I'd moved from Zimbabwe and then I was trying to play for Essex and South Australia, actually, I, I felt as if my roots had been pulled up from underneath me. One of the things that I've heard other people talk about, people that have moved countries, is that what you, one of the things you miss greatly is the, all the connections and contacts and network of friends and colleagues that you've, that you've naturally built up over the years. I'm going to school with them, to learning various things um, alongside them, uh, to sharing experiences with people. And that network of contact, contacts just ceases straight away when you move to another country, when you are an adult at, in your early 30s. And that was quite, quite a strange thing to experience and, and quite a difficult thing to handle, actually. It's like starting again. Um, and that, that affected me for a little while, uh, affected my confidence, I think. But the Essex time and the generosity and warmth with which Essex welcomed me and I'll always be very thankful for. And then, I mean, Grant, Grant arrived and joined Essex as well. So we were able to play together again, which was a real bonus that I didn't think would happen. And, and Grant in, ended his playing career or, or almost ended his playing career with a, a great stint through a very successful time with Essex. Grant, it must have been, I, I, I would think it was, must have been so important for you to succeed um, at, at Essex, you know, and, and not to play in Andrew's shadow. And, and you did that. I mean, you had some really, you probably played your best cricket for Essex, didn't you? Uh, yeah, Manus. I Well, I played some really good white ball cricket. I ended up being a much better white ball cricketer than red ball in the end, in my late later few years. But yeah, I was really fortunate. I, I love my time at Essex. Really good people, like Andrew said, Ronnie, Gucci, and a lot of very good players. And I've still got some very good friends there. And, and I learned a lot about my own cricket and formed some really good friendships. Um, and it was great to have that opportunity after leaving Zimbabwe and having a really good career. And then it was always my dream to play for a county. I, my dad asked me at a young age what I'd really like. And I didn't know I'd play for Zimbabwe, but at the time I said, my dream is to play county cricket. So it, it did happen. And I was very fortunate to have six good years at Essex. What's your coaching philosophy, both of you? Um, and, and I'm leading on to, would you ever consider coaching as a team um, together, wherever it, it, it might be? There's no reason you shouldn't, I suppose. But, but when coaching is not hitting, bowling or catching a cricket ball, what, what is it? I always find this question quite bizarre and tough to answer. And I actually had to answer it at one of my, um, I think it was my level three or level four in England, because I think there, there's so many answers you could give. And there's, there's so many things behind coaching that make up a philosophy. But obviously the person who asks it is looking for a pricey version of it. But I think Andrew touched on it when, uh, regarding helping him in his batting is giving confidence to the player you're speaking to. And I think that that's really important and one of the biggest things um, because a lot of professional sport is about playing with confidence and leading onto that is self-belief and getting the player to believe in himself. 
and obviously believing in, in you as a coach and you've got to forge a, a good relationship because if he doesn't believe in you and trust you uh, re regarding the message you're giving to him, then it's not going to work. So, and I, I think uh, going to Pakistan and Sri Lanka where the language barrier is, um, it's quite tough. A, a lot of it is about trust and, and believing in that person. And obviously the most important thing is to improve their skills because that's what you're getting paid for because no, one's, no one wants a coach that uh, isn't going to improve the actual player's skills in the end because um, that's the big thing is in winning and, uh, and, and enjoying it. Everyone gets paid a lot these days. Maybe not so much these coming days because of the way <laughs> things are, but there, there's got to be a, uh, a sense of enjoyment. And uh, otherwise, um, you know, you'll lose why you, why you played the game in the first place. Andrew, where does clear mind come into that? Confidence and enjoyment? Clear mind? Well, I think, Grant, talking about the subject of confidence and self-belief and, and one's influence on a player as a coach, ensuring that you're not damaging that is a, is a fundamental part of coaching. And... I think I've got better at it as I've got older as a coach. I was a little ignorant of, of the importance of that. So I completely agree with him focusing on that as a primary factor in coaching. And something that you, you need to keep at the forefront of your mind when you're working with someone. Because it's very easy as a coach to take away someone's self-belief, to create doubts in their game. If you're not careful about the content of what you're saying, the tone with, what you, with which you're saying it, uh, and being skillful yourself in, in your building a relationship, building trust, and the information that you impart. But going back to your original question you know, on philosophy of coaching, my, I suppose I would summarize mine as being helping a player to understand himself better. So growing that self-awareness, I think, is very important because that understanding of how they do stuff, the understanding of subjects like how do, how do I respond when I'm under pressure? Have I got routines to help me when I'm under pressure? I'm really feeling the heat. And then in my in more direct answer to your question, uh, you know, when you're under pressure and you want to clarify your thoughts, how do you do that? It's easy to trot that line out, but it's, it's more difficult to help someone prepare themselves so that they can think as clearly as possible under pressure and to practice and train both their mind and their body to respond in a really healthy way. So in summary, I'd say help, help the player understand himself better so that he can make better decisions when he's under pressure. Okay, what about dealing with uh, the difficult people here? And you can only have one line on Kevin Peterson, Andrew. Well, of course you had to bring that up during an interview, didn't you, man? Look, dealing with, dealing with difficult people as a coach, well, there are, there are a number of things that I'd say on this topic. Firstly, as a, as a coach, you have a responsibility to be able to flex your style, to incorporate all sorts of personalities in the people that you deal with. And your job is to, is, is to uh, bring people together and unite them around a common goal. 
Um, so in amongst your individual coaching, as a, as a head coach and an influencer and a leader, you, want to, you need to be able to bring people together and help them work together well. And in any group of people and in any line of work, you're going to, you're, you're going to come across some people that are brilliant team players, some maverick players, some people that are not good team players, some, of the, some people that are pretty neutral. You know, you're going to get that in an office. You're going to get that wherever you were. So it, it, it's not particular to sport. Maybe you could say some of the bigger, some of the, some of the stars that really stand out and, they, and have major points of difference, uh, you might find more of them in the elite level of sport. And, it, and you as a coach need to be skillful enough to deal with those uh, different characters. And the, and the basis of dealing with those situations and those people healthily will be in building re, uh, good relationships in which there's mutual respect and trust. So Kevin and I worked together for seven years, actually, uh, with England. And in the main, the, it was a relationship that worked okay. Um, it only really deteriorated right at the end for a couple of very specific reasons, which I'm not going to bore people with right now. But I, I, I was watching the Netflix documentary on The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and the head coach, uh, Phil Jackson. And I, I thought the third episode was actually really, really interesting from a coaching perspective. When... Uh, it's a Dennis Rodman when Dennis Rodman joined the Chicago Bulls and the way Phil Jackson embraced his difference, I thought was a really wise and gentle and really lovely scene in which he sort of celebrated Dennis Rodman's uh, points of difference and made Dennis Rodman feel uh, that he belonged and feel feel that his differences were valued. And I think, uh, looking back at my previous experience, I, I know that I could have done certain things better. I'm, I'm sure, well, in fact, I was, gonna, I, was, I was going to say, I'm sure Kevin might think the same with regards himself and him doing things, but I'm not, I, actually, I'm not sure about that. But um, <laughs> I, I know I could have, I know that I could have, with a little more wisdom and effort, built a better, better relationship with Kevin. You must have had some interesting characters in the Pakistan change room, Grant. Uh, yeah, very. Yeah, Ahmed Shazad being one. <laughs> very skillful batter, but um, quite rebellious. But every team's got their, their rebels. But uh, sometimes that makes them better players. Sometimes maybe not so. Yunus Khan, quite tough to... <laughs> Uh, master or very obviously a brilliant career I remember one incident in Brisbane during the Brisbane test at breakfast I try to give him a bit of batting advice not that my career was anywhere near as regarding stats as he is one of the highest scorers or is the highest scorer in Pakistan cricket test cricket um, but he didn't take kindly to my advice and brought a knife to my throat with Mickey Arthur sitting alongside who had to intervene 
So um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting. But uh, yeah, that, that's part of coaching. Eh? Uh, it makes it, it makes it a hell of a journey, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've still got a lot to learn, um, but um, I'm very fortunate to be in the position I am, and hopefully, I am for quite a few years to come. Well, I, I've never heard that story. That is uh, interesting. What I would like to say, though, Manners, I mean, talking about tricky players, it's not just Kevin or one person that's tricky. You're dealing with such a range of characters in, a, in squads, and those squads are uh, changing all the time. You're bringing in new players. You have some experienced players. You've got a range of personal issues that they'll be dealing with. You've got them under, they, they are under a lot of pressure. They're under constant scrutiny. And it's such a, a wide range of issues to deal with. It makes it a fascinating job. But it isn't, it's never just one player. I mean, during that period that we're talking about, English cricket, uh, luckily no knives to throats. But dealing with guys like Graham Swan uh, or Stuart Broad, uh, or if I, if I look back at um, my own career as a player, I don't think I was easy to coach or work with. I think I was troublesome. Uh, you know, poor old Jeff Marsh, who coached us, probably pulling his bloody hair out um, working with me. Uh, so that, that's the, that is the lot of a leader in any walk of life. And uh, the more knowledgeable we are, the more we understand ourselves, the more we understand uh, healthy relationships and how they work, the more we understand how groups and teams work, the better we are at this. And we're, 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 le we're learning all the time. Well, I would hope that we're all on that sort of journey. As a coach, you can be true to yourself, but when you're asked about a philosophy, I, I would imagine that the best answer, Grant, um, next time you're asked a question is, it changes from player to player. It depends who I'm coaching. Because you, you do need to be a bit of a chameleon, don't you? Uh, yeah, definitely, Manus. Yeah, uh, and I, I think you make a lot of sense with that. Uh, you've got to be flexible. And you're dealing with so many different techniques, so many different characters. Some have got more mental strengths than technical and vice versa. And I think the best coaches are flexible and, and they're, willing, they're willing to listen to uh, others, especially being a batting coach. I think you've got to be um, very humble. Because in every coaching setup, all the other coaches have got advice for the batters. I think bowling, you know, it's, it's, it's tougher to coach. Whereas batsmen, every, everyone's battered at some form in their careers regarding the coaches. So everyone's throwing out advice. So you've got, you got to be willing to listen. And then, yeah, willing to adapt to different players and, and listening to their needs. Has been boshed, has it? Not enough! Time to party some more here in Malta. That's it! Well on cue, brother! Lovely change of pace. Talk about a bullseye and darts. It's Tanvera Gay. One run to win, and a pretty on strike. Simple victory in the end for the Multan Sultans. Well, we're almost there. A couple of minutes to go, gents, and I, I do very, very much appreciate your time. Andrew, you've, you've now into the um, freelance T20 coaching gig with the Multan Sultans, who you mentioned. 
and the St Lucia Zooks. I think I think that's the two you're within the Caribbean Premier League. But now that your children are grown up and at university, um, is there a, a, a part of you that wants to return to international cricket? I mean, like I said, you know, three Ashes series doesn't probably get bigger or better than that. Maybe a World Cup would be nice. But um, would you like to have another stab at the on the international circuit if it comes up? Uh, that's it's possible, Mellows. It's possible. Uh, at the moment, I've still got a, a daughter in her lower sixth year of A levels, so I'm trying to be around a little more for her. You know, I did so much travelling as a player and then as a coach, and I was away from them for so long. I'm trying to spend more time at home. Uh, so the international circuit is very is is very difficult. I mean, the more the more popular coaching jobs these days are at the fr- at franchise level. The coaches just d- don't want to be on the road all the time. Uh, so international cricket is missing out on some some you know really excellent coaches, Stephen Fleming and the like, because these guys don't want to be travelling uh, for most of the year. I, I want to try out these franchises for the next couple of years and see what it's like. Luckily, I've, I've got a, a couple of nice jobs. Did the T10 tournament in Abu Dhabi earlier in the winter, um, which was a really good experience, a really short tournament. But I really like the format. Very quick games over in an hour and a half. So it's more, it's, it's a period of time that spectators are more used to committing to. Uh, it's the same sort of period of time that you'd watch a game of rugby or football. Uh, it's a format that you could easily play at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games and play three games a day uh, at one venue. So the, the cricket world's moving pretty quickly and it's nice as a coach to get some experience of all of that. I'm going to work alongside Anil Kumbla, who's head coach at Kings Eleven. Uh, in the IPL, and I've never worked at the IPL before, so that'll be really interesting. And we, and yes, we've got the Caribbean Premier League coming up in August. So they're really cha- they're quite challenging in a different way for a coach. So you're not so much looking at medium to long term development of players. You're you're looking to get a disparate group of people together and get them all headed in one direction in a very short space of time. Uh, so it's a very different uh, type of coaching and uh, a different challenge that I've enjoyed so far in my couple of little experiences in the Pakistan Super League and the T10. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Grant, time for a, a head coach gig for you. I, I don't know how what your ambitions are. Stay in inter- I mean, you've only just started at Sri Lanka, obviously. So <laughs> hopefully that goes well for at least... Uh, two or three years or, or four years seems to be the finite period for international coaches, but you've got so much international experience already. Uh, do you, have you been holding back from a head coach gig or, or is that your preferred direction now? Uh, yeah. Good question, Manus. I mean, I've had quite a few discussions with Andrew about it and asked his advice and, you know, whether I, he thought I was good enough because it's a big step up. There's a big difference between a, uh, between a batting coach or bowling coach and, and taking on the responsibility of a head coach who looks after everything. The pressures are immense compared to just being a line coach. I interviewed twice for the Zimbabwe job when I was the batting coach and I didn't get those jobs. They went to Andrew Waller and Alan Butcher at the time. 
so it has been a goal, but whether or not that's uh, the right thing for me, I, I'm not sure. But I, I think I would have regrets if I didn't do it one day. It would definitely take me out of my comfort zone. Uh, so I think it would be a good thing for me. And uh, but, but at the moment, I've got a, a nice deal here with Sri Lanka, working under Mickey Arthur. And he's been really good to me, and we've formed a good relationship. But um, for the future, uh, hopefully something comes along. I think the games will feel a bit different with, with no crowds. But also, I think cricket is in a slightly different position to the sports like football and and rugby and the fact that our domestic game in, in Red Bull cricket, a lot of the time we play in front of smaller crowds. So we're not relying on the atmosphere or the crowds to to drive us forward, to drive our skill forward and, and momentum forward. What about the future? What about playing cricket um, in biosecure environments and... Um, and you know the the changing changing cricket protocols, shining the ball, and just I mean, are you? We don't have any choice but to be optimistic, do we? Because cricket's our is our game. It's it's what we do. It's how we make our living. But what are your thoughts on the immediate future? Yeah, you you've got to get out there and do it. You got to be try to be positive. Shining the ball, a lot's been said about it, but you can make a plan. Uh, you you sweat enough generally. Obviously, UK is a bit different, but. <laughs> Uh, you can always make a plan, even though the bowlers will always moan, but that's what they do. But And no crowds, well, yeah, there, there won't be much atmosphere. But at the end of the day, if you want to make a living, whether you're a player or a coach, you've got to get out there because it all comes down to broadcasting rights. So hopefully it's not going to be around. It's not going to be like that for a long time. And things will go back to how they were. But uh, you've got to be adaptable, eh? like we discussed earlier, and get on with it. Yeah, look, this situation isn't going to be around forever. And I, I agree with Grant that people are adaptable. And it's amazing how quickly we, as a, as a population, become used to a new normal. So the new normal that we can see outside at the moment in the UK is people getting used to queuing. Um, Grant and I are very used to that from our days in Zimbabwe, um, where you queue for everything. Uh, but, you know, e even in a place like England, the new normal um, happens very quickly. And I, and I was actually chatting with Chris Silverwood, the England head coach, this morning on the phone. And, you know, he, he was telling me how some of these new protocols were affecting the, the, the way that they were training, the way that they, they were selecting the size of their staffs, protocols around the dressing room and having to extend dressing rooms in size, how you have your lunches, how you have your team meetings, um, which are they, they conducting them more outdoors at the moment and not in rooms uh, for obvious reasons. How, so and that therefore affects how you review games or how you prep for games. How you se even celebrate wickets is is going to change. So I think people will get used to it very quickly. We all hope that we get rid of the COVID problem as soon as possible and our old normality returns. But it, there are there are a couple of 
positive performance things that come up, can come out of the some of these new protocols. Chris Silverwood was talking this morning about the intensity of some of their training sessions because they are because you can't get together and train as a group. The sessions are shorter and sharper for the individual players. Uh, that they're maximising their time better. The uh, there's been more healthy interaction between the England cricket board staff and the county staffs. So those relationships have got better. The focus on player well-being it has it will increase significantly, uh, given that there are more challenges to player well-being with all these restrictions in place and normal ways of letting your hair down or releasing some of the pressure that international players inevitably experience, the greater focus on well-being might very well be good in the long run uh, for international sports people. So I think with the right intent and, uh, and the right attitude to things, uh, we can use it as a catalyst for good. We've seen, even with the Black Lives Matter movement, the catalyst for good from a very challenging time and a, and a terrible situation and how, how something like that can be turned into something very positive and that can benefit humanity. And I think that's the intent and attitude that we should embrace. On that note, Andrew Flower, Grant Flower, on behalf of, of all of us here at uh, the Cricket Collective, I know you've both got uh, important meetings to, uh, to, to rush off to, but thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you. I don't know when, I don't know where. But I, I know that we'll see each other again soon. Thank you for your time. Pleasure, Manners. Thanks, Manners. My thanks to both Andy and Grant Flower for the last hour. And if you missed any of the show or you'd like to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 